Uh, well, good morning, everyone. Um, this morning we are going to uh, finish uh, our uh, mini series in uh, Galatians 5. So if you'd like to turn to Galatians chapter 5, and we're going to look at uh, verses 22 uh, to 26. Why don't I pray as we uh, look at God's word together? Our Father, we thank you for uh, speaking us, uh, speaking to us uh, through your word already, uh, through the Bible readings. Now, as we look at this passage, we pray that you would give us understanding and by your spirit, uh, you would change our hearts so that we would live lives uh, that evermore give glory to you. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, well, this is uh, the third in our series, uh, looking at the second half of Galatians 5. And I hope that you've seen this uh, so much, uh, so many riches in this passage uh, in helping us and challenging us uh, to live the Christian life. And uh, it's this last section uh, that we're perhaps most uh, familiar with, the, with the fruit of the Spirit. So reading from verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit is uh, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Uh, well, last week we saw the work of the flesh. Uh, this week we see not the work of the Spirit, but the fruit of the Spirit. And again, remember uh, Paul's kind of goal in writing uh, Galatians or his goal for the church at uh, Galatia is that Christ might be formed in them. Uh, you might remember Galatians 4 verse 19 from last week. Uh, Paul expresses his desire, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Well, the characteristics of Christ that we read about in this passage uh, are, this is Christ formed in, in us, our character reflecting that of Christ produced by the Spirit. And this uh, promise of the Spirit producing fruit in the life of God's people uh, is uh, one that's uh, deeply rooted in the Old Testament. Uh, just uh, hear these words I'm going to read from Isaiah 32. And as I read them, just notice the connections uh, with our passage. Um, the palace is forsaken, the populous city deserted, the hill and the watchtower will become dens forever, a joy of wild donkeys a pasture of flocks until the spirit is poured out upon us from on high. Then the wilderness will become a fruitful field and the fruitful field deemed a forest. Then justice will dwell in the wilderness and righteousness abide in the fruitful field. And the effect of righteousness will be peace and the result of righteousness, quietness and trust forever. My people will abide in a peaceful habitation, in secure dwellings and in quiet resting places. Uh, Israel is a desert, a wilderness in Isaiah's uh, vision until the spirit comes and produces the fruit of righteousness, uh, peace and trust, uh, all echoed in our passage. Now that Christ has given himself for our sins and the spirit has come, this fruitful life is a possibility. Well, uh, Paul starts with uh, love, and it may be that he mentions love first because it's the most important. Uh, but I think it may be that, the lo that love is the fruit of the Spirit in its purest form or in its essence. And that each of the other aspects are the contexts or the way that we express love. 
He's already said in this letter, chapter five, verse six, that the only thing that counts is faith working through love. Uh, in chapter five, verse 13, uh, he told us to enslave ourselves to one another through love. Uh, verse 14, he's told us that love fulfills the whole law. And so it's not so much kind of love and joy and peace, but it's a love that is joyful, a love that is peaceful, a love that is patient, a love that is gentle. Not, I don't think there's a massive uh, difference there, but I do, I do think it fits in with uh, the place that he's already given love in this letter and the place that love has in his wider theology. Uh, so think about uh, 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient, love is kind. Uh, and if we don't have love, uh, we are nothing. And there are two uh, things that we need to grasp about this uh, fundamental fruit of the spirit, love, but it's true of the others as well. Uh, firstly, that it is not self-generated. Uh, love is not something that we simply attain ourselves. It's the result of the transformed life filled with the spirit of God who pours his own love into our hearts. It's interesting if you read across uh, Paul's letters how uh, frequently he prays uh, for uh, the churches that he's writing to that their love might increase. Uh, so 1 Thessalonians 3.12, may the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else. I think that reflects his conviction that love, like anything good, ultimately comes from God as a gift of grace. It's not, it's not self-generated. But secondly, it's commanded. And uh, we've seen that already. Uh, the verses that I read that we looked at uh, a few weeks ago, through love, be enslaved to one another. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love is the fruit of the spirit, but love is also commanded. And uh, you see that with uh, goodness as well. It's listed in, as the fruit of the spirit, but Paul can command it in chapter six, uh, verse nine. Let us not grow weary of doing good. Uh, verse 10, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone especially to those who are of the household of faith. Uh, again, this is something that we touched on last week. Uh, we walk, we are commanded to walk, we're commanded to live the Christian life, but we do it by the Spirit. Now, there is this interplay between the divine and the human that I think is unique to Christianity. Uh, these characteristics, love, joy, peace, etc., are commanded, but they're not self-generated. And I think holding those things to, uh, together, those two things together, uh, stops us from veering uh, to the extremes uh, that we can fall into in Christian, uh, in the Christian life. Uh, one might be thinking that, uh, you know, the Christian life doesn't matter. It doesn't matter um, uh, that we uh, display these uh, characteristics in our life. Uh, the other extreme would be thinking that it's all about our own obedience and effort. Uh, so holding these things together uh, keeps us up from going to those two extremes. Uh, the fruit of the spirit, are not, it's not generated, but it is commanded. Well, let's look at the other aspects uh, briefly. And the sad thing is, in the time that we have, we can only really skate over uh, the different aspects of the fruit of the spirit. Um, I know that the women have gone through uh, each of them in Women's Chapel, and uh, those talks are up on the college website. So uh, that will be a great resource uh, to draw on. But I do want to look at them uh, briefly, and I want us to see that each characteristic has uh, deep Old Testament roots. Uh, we see them displayed by God in the Old Testament, or we uh, see them kind of enjoined on the people of God in, in the Old Testament. 
and they are each manifested in the life of Jesus. And I think that's important because what Paul is saying is that the character of God that he has always wanted his people to have, the character that was lived out so perfectly by the Lord Jesus, well, that character can now be manifested in the life of every Christian mm -hmm. by the Spirit. And they're all, we'll see, rooted in the, in the uh, Old Testament and in the life of Jesus, uh, except one. And we'll see uh, what is different about that one in a moment. Uh, joy, uh, the call to rejoice, you'll know, echoes through the Old Testament. And it's fulfilled in Christ, whom Hebrews tells us that for the joy set before him endured the, Christ, the cross. Uh, why does Paul mention joy second? Well, I think in the context of the New Testament, where suffering and struggle is uh, the lot of the Christian, joy is the proof that uh, that the Spirit is at work. Now, Paul's the New Testament writer that mentions joy most frequently, uh, particularly in uh, Philippians that we looked at in chapel yesterday. And uh, that letter, as you know, was written from a prison cell. And it's only the Spirit who can produce joy in circumstances like that. Uh, peace, well, God promises peace in the Old Testament. Numbers even speaks of a covenant of peace. Uh, Jesus tells his disciples in John's gospel, peace I leave you, my peace I give to you. Uh, the context here uh, suggests though peace amongst one another rather than peace in our hearts. Uh, verse 26, uh, let's not become conceited, provoking one another. Uh, Paul wants peace amongst uh, the believers. And this is not incidental. In a letter where he can condemn false teachers with the harshest words possible, let them be anathema, uh, he also writes so strongly that the believers at Galatia are to strive together for peace. Well, then he mentions uh, patience, kindness, and goodness. And uh, God in the Old Testament consistently reveals himself as slow to anger, as kind, as good. Uh, in 1 Timothy, Paul reflects uh, how uh, these characteristics were displayed in the Lord Jesus for our salvation. His perfect uh, patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Uh, Titus talks about the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior when he appeared. And later on, again, he tells the Galatians to follow this model. We've already seen this at uh, the commands in verses 9 and 10 of chapter 6 uh, to do good to everyone. Uh, especially to the household of faith. Faithfulness uh, is next, and uh, we know uh, across the Bible uh, that God is faithful to his word. Uh, Hebrews 3, 6 describes Christ himself as faithful over God's house as a son. Uh, the word obviously points to the idea of re reliability, trustworthiness, being true to uh, your word. And then he mentions gentleness. Just pause on this uh, for a, a second. Uh, gentleness, I think, is easily overlooked, um, and I think it's particularly relevant in an age like ours, which is so characterized by outrage. And uh, it's interesting, even uh, you see some of the debates going on at the moment about, uh, you know, coming out of restrictions. And some people are very strong of the opinion that we, you know, should be uh, doing it more quickly. Others, you know, that we should be slowing down. And the, the, the heat comes up, and and even Christians can get into quite um, kind of vociferous arguments. Uh, but uh, Paul here reminds us that the Christian life is marked by gentleness. And we remember the Lord Jesus who described himself in Matthew 11. Take my yoke upon, me, uh, upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. Uh, gentleness has a, an active dimension. 
it's not exerting your, your uh, right, correct authority, even when you could, uh, to punish. It's also got a passive dimension, which is uh, the idea of turning the other cheek, a cheek that Jesus spoke about. Or think of Jesus from the cross. Father, forgive them, for they uh, don't know what they do. I think gentleness, uh, very easily overlooked, but key to understanding the character of the Lord Jesus and a key uh, characteristic uh, as Christians that we should display. Uh, so all of these up to this point are grounded in the Old Testament and manifested in the life of Jesus, except the last one, uh, self-control. Uh, you won't find the, the Greek word uh, here for self-control anywhere in the uh, Greek translation of the Old Testament. Uh, you won't find it in the Gospels uh, by the character of Jesus. In fact, uh, this word is only used three times in the New Testament. Here uh, in uh, 2 Peter 1, in Peter's sort of similar list of, of uh, kind of Christian characteristics, and in Acts 24, when uh, Paul speaks to Felix. Uh, but while it's not a particularly common word in the Bible, uh, it was a highly prized word or virtue in the Greco-Roman world in the first century. It was perhaps seen as the most important virtue, uh, being able to control your emotion and your desires. So can you see what Paul's doing? He starts with the most characteristic um, kind of virtue, if you like, of, of the Old Testament, love. And then he ends with the supreme virtue prized by the culture, self-control. Uh, the point is that it's only as Christ is formed in us by the Spirit that we can live the virtuous life, a life that fulfills the uh, expectations of the Old Testament and even the aspirations of the culture around us. Uh, think of the most, the, the kind of equivalent virtue today that might be kind of prized by our culture um, you know, maybe something like mindfulness. Everyone's talking about mindfulness. It would be like saying that true mindfulness, uh, understood correctly, is only found in Christ as the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, that's uh, self-control. That's the significance of self-control. And Paul underlines that only in Christ is self-control possible. Uh, verse 24, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. It's because believers have broken with our old lives, because we belong to Christ who was crucified. And so just as Jesus belongs to uh, the world to come, so as believers join to him, we belong to that world and not to this world. And so, and, and Paul sort of reflects on this uh, uh, throughout the letter. Chapter 3, verse 20, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Chapter 6, verse 14, far be it from me to boast in anything except the cross of Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. And he says, neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. Now, the believer uh, belongs to a new creation, to the world of the Spirit. And so the Christian life is possible by the Spirit. Uh, the life that the Old Testament held out, uh, the life that Greco-Roman culture aspired to, it's possible as Christ is formed in us by the Spirit. But the final verses in our passage uh, really do uh, grind us in reality. I just want to look at them uh, briefly. Uh, what Paul says is made very concrete in verse 26. We just uh, read it. I'll read it again. Uh, let us uh, not become conceited, provoking one another, envying uh, one another. Uh, it, it is challenging that as Paul talks about the life of the Spirit, his 
uh, a life sort of shaped by the spirit with the fruit of the spirit. His goal is not sort of uh, uh, super spiritual Christians who live a life of kind of independent kind of spiritual triumph. No, the mark of true spirituality is life together. It's life together. So many of these aspects of the fruit of the spirit relate to how we uh, relate to one another. Life in the spirit is uh, life together, life as a community. Uh, that is what uh, Paul is uh, aiming for in his letter, is a church that is united around the gospel. They've got to be clear on their Christian teaching. They've got to be clear on the gospel, but they've got to live that out in harmony with one another. And uh, if either of those two are distorted, uh, well, then uh, the church will fail. Uh, but uh, the other verse I want to just uh, look at uh, very briefly to finish is verse 25. If we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step uh, with the Spirit. Uh, very similar to what we saw last week with verse 16 uh, and the command to walk by the Spirit. As I've uh, read through this passage, as I've thought about it, worked on it, I've been struck by the fact that it is possible to live a form of the Christian life where we don't walk by the Spirit. The fact that Paul has to command it. It shows that it is possible to have a form of the Christian life where we don't do this, where we don't, like Paul, pray for our love to increase, but we only focus on the fact that we're commanded to love. And what we end up doing, of course, is lowering the bar. Uh, we relate to one another with an acceptable level of tolerance. But the Christian life that Paul holds out in this letter, in this passage, it is a much uh, richer and higher calling because it's nothing less than Christ himself formed in us. Isn't that one of the most challenging things to think about, the character of Christ formed in us? And of course, we know that it will never be uh, perfected until uh, the last day. But nevertheless, uh, what Galatians is calling us to do is, is by the Spirit to see this increasingly true in our lives and in our churches. As we walk by the Spirit, in prayerful dependence on God as we pray earnestly that God would shape our own characters and the characters of our churches by his spirit uh, to be like the spirit of his son. Well, let's pray that that would be uh, true of us. Uh, our Father, we do thank and praise you for uh, the gift of your Holy Spirit and uh, we pray that he would increasingly shape our lives so that Christ would be formed in us. We pray that uh, for us as individuals, for us as a college community, and for us in our churches, uh, that you would be glorified and your son honoured. And uh, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.